Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Are your joints painful? Do you suffer from daily discomfort? As it stands today, chronic pain affects more Americans than diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. In fact, chronic pain is the number one reason Americans enter the healthcare system today. However, many people believe their only option for pain relief is found in drugstore options, such as ibuprofen, Advil, and Tylenol, to name a few. Tragically, most people are unaware that these pain meds do more harm than good. Common side effects include headaches, liver and kidney issues, high blood pressure, and in rare cases, even death. Not to mention, they're just masking your pain, giving you temporary relief. While this may sound all doom and gloom, I do have good news. There is an all-natural solution that addresses the root cause of your discomfort, a real solution that allows you to get back to being you. And that solution is called Curcumin Gold, made by my friends at Purality Health. Curcumin Gold contains turmeric curcumin extract, vegan omega-3s, particularly DHA, which is a very long-chain omega-3, and it has ginger oil. These carefully selected ingredients support healthy joint function and address the root cause of inflammation within your body. Trust me when I say you won't find anything else on the market quite like this. In fact, my friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, proven to be 800% more efficient than traditional uh, supplement doses. Even better, it's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today, we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ or Dr. J to access 30% off today. So again, that's PurityHealth.com. Use the coupon code DRJ, so Dr. J access 30% off today. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I'm being interviewed by my friend, Dr. Wendy Trobo for her Environmental Toxicants, Autoimmunity, and Chronic Diseases Summit that uh, took place here in, or it's taking place here in April of 2023. So she's got a great lineup of speakers. And if you don't know Dr. Wendy she wrote a really cool book called Dirty Girl, and she's an expert in functional medicine, dealing with toxins and autoimmunity. And we talked all about stimulating autophagy for cellular detox and healing. Autophagy is really our body's innate way to detox, cleanse, heal, and regenerate. In 2016, a Japanese researcher got the Nobel Prize for his research on autophagy. And the more that we know about this, the more we realize how powerful this physiological um, this physiological process is. Autophagy is when our body breaks down old damaged cellular organelles, so the, the, the different structures within a cell that allow the cell to function and allow the cell to produce energy. So it breaks those down, takes the raw materials, and creates new, healthy, stress-resilient organelles. So it literally regenerates a cellular structure and creates a healthier cell that's more stress resilient, that has a better lifespan, that's more metabolically flexible, able to burn sugar and fat for fuel. And this is really how we create great health, right? The more stress resilient cells, the healthier the mitochondria within your cells are, the healthier you are going to be. And so we do a deep dive in this podcast. If you're really into this kind of stuff, cellular healing, cellular regeneration, you are going to love this episode. So be sure to stay tuned and also check out the show notes on drjockers.com for this podcast. That's where you'll see a link for Dr. Wendy's Environmental Toxicants, Autoimmunity, and Chronic Diseases Summit. 
and um, you'll be able to find her book and all that other stuff in there as well. And please share this with anybody that you know and that you care about. And if you have not left us a review, now is the time to do that. Leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. When you do that, it helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Environmental Toxicants Autoimmunity and Chronic Diseases Summit. I'm, we're your hosts. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo, and this is Dr. Edward Levitan. And our guest today is Dr. David Jockers. Super psyched. I know I say this all the time, but I really am super psyched. He is a doctor of natural medicine. He runs one of the most popular natural health websites in drjockers.com. He's been seen on popular media, such as the Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Health Family and is the author of The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough. He's world-renowned in the area of ketosis and is the host of the popular Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast. Welcome. We're so psyched to have you. Well, thanks so much, Wendy. I really appreciate you guys having me. And uh, this is such a great topic that people really need to know about. Yeah, we're gonna, so we're going to talk about... I'm sorry. I know you want to talk. I like uh, go I a mile a minute. This is like... I love the subject. This is like an <laughs> awesome subject because so many people... Tell them the subject. Well, it's ketosis and it's autophagy and it's, it's with all when I've recently really gone into deep into longevity and th this is the, this is the bee's knees. So I'm very psyched to have you to have an expert on to talk about this. So thank Glory you. to the future, right? Yeah. All right. So I think the first thing we have to ask or to talk about for our listeners is what is autophagy and how does it work? Yeah, so autophagy is actually a Greek word and it means self-eating. And so basically the way it works in our body is our, we have this amazing innate intelligence that God put within us that is constantly coordinating all of our processes in our body to give us the greatest possible survival advantage. And so when we are when when our nutrient levels go down, our body needs to, obviously it needs a continual supply of either glucose or fatty acids for energy, right? And so if we're not eating, if we're you know in a time of famine, all of our ancestors went through periods of feasting and famine. So if we went through a period of famine, our body would start to break down stored sugar. We call that glycogen in our muscles and our liver and stored fat, right? So we have that stored body fat and it would use that for energy. But another thing the body needs is amino acids. And so it needs amino acids to produce white blood cells, to produce albumin and all these different carrying proteins, sex hormone binding globulin, right? Thyroid hormone, right? All these different compounds that have protein backbones in, inside of our system or our proteins. You know, we hear about things like C-reactive protein and things like that. So these are proteins in the body and we need to create those. And so if we don't have a supply of amino acids coming in our body, the innate intelligence will start to break down uh, proteins that are not functioning well, right? And this is the amazing thing about the body is it knows where the inferior cells, right? And, and inferior cellular organelles within all of our cells, we have organs within the cells, like the mitochondria, Golgi apparatus, endoplasmic reticulum. And these all have to do with cellular function. The mitochondria are the most well-known and when we think about mitochondria, we think about cellular energy production. They also have a sensory component as well, where they help to adapt their energy production to the needs of the environment and uh, environmental stressors and toxins and things like that can actually cause them to go into a more of a hypometabolic state as well. And so going back to this idea of autophagy, the body needs to constantly create new mitochondria. It needs to constantly create new proteins. And so it will go in and find areas where proteins are dysfunctional, right? So uh, if we have dysfunctional proteins, they're not functioning the way that they should. A large buildup of dysfunctional proteins will actually cause chronic disease development. And so when we have this period of famine, and the, one of the ways the body knows we're in a period of famine is this hormone insulin goes down. So when we're constantly consuming food, we are... Uh, increasing our insulin levels, particularly if we're eating carbohydrate-rich foods, we're going to have higher and higher amounts of insulin. When insulin drops down past a certain threshold, so when it gets low enough, it triggers our body to start to burn fat. And then also we can start to go into this state of autophagy, break down um, these proteins and create new amino acids. 
And those new amino acids, again, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take those and we'll start to actually repair different cellular structures. Like for example, the mitochondria will start to create new mitochondria. And all of us have a lot of damaged mitochondria within our cells, just the process of oxidative stress um, and the process of creating energy um, creates a rusting process, or we call that oxidative stress inside the cells and and uh, particularly the mitochondria really get affected by this. And if we don't turn those mitochondria over, they become very dysfunctional and they become metabolically inflexible. Normally, the mitochondria should be able to burn fat for fuel and also burn sugar. And when they become dysfunctional, they can no longer burn fat effectively for fuel and they become obligate glucose metabolizers, meaning that they basically are just stuck in this kind of sugar burning mode. We call that glycolysis and they sputter out a whole lot of free radicals and just a little bit of cellular energy. And so we start to break down these mitochondria and we call these, when mitochondria become dysfunctional, we call them senescent mitochondria or older aged mitochondria. We start to break those down and we take the raw materials and we turn that into new, healthy, stress-resilient mitochondria. And ultimately, the quality of our life is going to come down to mitochondria are so important that the quality of our life really comes down to the amount of stress-resilient, healthy-functioning mitochondria that we have inside the cells of our body. And so if we have a whole lot, if we have a buildup of senescent mitochondria, we're going to have really poor function. We're going to have poor cellular function, poor organ function, poor overall function. And if we can get rid of those and turn those into new, young, uh, stress-resilient mitochondria, then we're going to have significantly elevated overall physiology and overall function. All right. This podcast is sponsored by Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research. For anyone looking to ignite their fat-burning metabolism, boost their energy, and transform how they look and feel, they must start taking care of their liver. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, alcohol, and dangerous food additives and preservatives. And after decades of wear and tear, our livers slow down and they become sluggish. And this is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple all natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. It also works remarkably well to fight fatty liver, which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you're going to receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to this special nano delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Just go to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's get liver help. So G-E-T-L-I-V-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash jockers or call 800-282-1757. You're covered by their 365 day money back guarantee. So you have nothing to risk, but supplies are limited. So go head over to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call 800-282-1757. I have a question. That's How about you? Well, I want to actually, I have a lot of questions. I want to really make sure to 
uh, go back down because I just want to make I want to dummy it down for me and then maybe for our um, listeners. So what you're saying is the process of autophagy is getting rid of old bad cells, breaking them down, then reusing them to build new ones, but really making sure that get rid of all the waste and all the thing, all the cells that aren't serving us. Is that kind of the very yeah, basics of a, it? Yeah, it's a cellular repair process. Now, there's a couple different terms if we really want to be, um, you know, if we want to use the proper terminology, when we get rid of, when we when we kill a bad cell, we call that apoptosis, right? And so kind of programmed cell death, um, we kill the bad cell. When we break down an organelle within a cell, right? So a component of a cell, we call that autophagy or, you know, depending on the, the like if it's a mitochondria, we call that mitophagy because mm-hmm. it's a, a, a form of autophagy specific to the mitochondria. So that's really how it works. Now, now apoptosis is a very powerful way of getting rid of these bad cells. And it's a very important mechanism within our, our body. However, it's also very energy demanding and it creates a it creates a, a increase in endotoxic debris within our within our our system, right? And we're, you know we're talking about toxicity. Of course, we think about toxicity. We think about things coming from the outside in, but our body itself is producing a lot of toxic and nox- noxious mm. components. And so, when we kill off a cell through apoptosis, it's going to actually cause damage to cells around it. Now, it's necessary in certain circumstances if that cell is really uh, malfunctioning, right? And and it's senescent. It is old and aged. We don't want that cell reproducing and creating more and more of itself, right? And so we've got to get rid of it. But our our innate intelligence would prefer to undergo autophagy because it creates less of this endotoxic debris, right? And it's it's less energy demanding, less stressful on the system, and and so that's kind of the first mechanism. Apoptosis is kind of like the backup system, right? So if we haven't been able to repair the cellular organelles on the front end, then we'll go ahead, we'll kill those cells um, and deal with the ramifications from there. So outside of fatigue, how might our listeners recognize, oh, you're talking about me. What are the things that people will notice if their mitochondria are dysfunctional and if autophagy needs to take place? Like how, how would people know? Well, a number of different ways, you know, so if you're dealing with chronic inflammation, so for example, autoimmunity, we know that there's a whole lot of senescent dysfunctional immune cells, right? And that can be a a major player in autoimmunity or any sort of chronic inflammatory condition. So if you're dealing with skin issues, skin inflammation, eczema, um, you know, gut issues, digestive issues, if you're dealing with uh, thyroid problems right? That's going to be an issue if you're dealing with brain fog. So when we think about mitochondria, we have about 10 times more mitochondria per neuron, which is basically the nervous system cells, the cells in the nervous system, than we do muscle cells. So mitochondria start to not function properly. We start to see a lot of cognitive issues typically, right? We'll, we'll, We'll typically see brain fog, possibly anxiety, depression, trouble sleeping, um, issues like that. And so, um, so that's a big factor. So really any, almost any unwanted chronic condition can be related to mitochondrial issues. And so we've got to address that, um, and look at that. That's great. So how does fasting play into this? Yeah. So like I talked about before with feast and famine, yeah. So our ancestors, when they had a good hunt or a good harvest, they had plenty of food, but they didn't have very good food storage systems. They didn't have refrigerators, you know, things like that. So when they ate, they ate until they were really fully satiated. They weren't trying to count calories or anything like that. Um, they ate and they ate well because that food could spoil and they never knew when their next meal was going to be. And so they would feast. But then there would be times where they wouldn't have a good harvest or a good hunt and they would have to fast or they would eat, you know, very little because food was scarce. And so this is a natural mechanism that all of our ancestors dealt with. And so it's built into our genetic blueprint to undergo these kind of cycles of feast and famine. So when we fast... This hormone insulin, like I talked about before, which is kind of the the key that opens the receptor on the cell that allows sugar as well as nutrients like magnesium into the cell, 
that goes down. And when insulin goes down, it's a trigger inside of our system that says, okay, food is scarce. We're not getting the nutrients we need. So let's start to break down our storage uh, forms of energy and use those as an energy source. And let's also break down the older damaged proteins so we can recycle those amino acids and use those to create new healthy uh, cellular organelles, healthy white blood cells, right? Healthy uh, cellular structures. And so when we fast in, in our society today, you know, particularly in a first world country, if you're listening to this summit, you've probably got plenty of access to food, right? So like in my house, I mean, I could probably live, you know, without going shopping for a month on all the food that I have sitting around. And so we have to be intentional about undergoing times when we're not actually eating. And the average individual is eating six meals a day. And that may even just be like a drink of, you know, it, it could just be, you know, a gulp of sweet tea or something like that. Every time you're taking in calories, right, particularly high glycemic or carbohydrate-based calories, you are increasing your insulin levels. Yeah. And so when we do that, we are stopping our body from burning fat and from undergoing autophagy. So we actually need a length of time. And depending on how metabolically flexible the individual is, that means how insulin sensitive is their system and how good are they at burning fat for fuel, the amount of time is going to range, right? So the, the better you are at burning fat, if you're very fit, if you're exercising regularly, you're thin, you're lean, and you're able to go longer periods of time without food, without having cravings, okay? That's a sign you're metabolically fit. And that means that you're going to undergo autophagy quicker during a fast than somebody who perhaps has a lot of extra body fat that has constant cravings. Um, you know, it's very hard for them to go long periods of time without food. Those people are very metabolically inflexible. They're not good at burning fat. They've got a whole bunch of these senescent mitochondria, again, that are not good at burning fat. And so they, are, they really need to undergo autophagy, but it's more stressful on their system. And so fasting again is an intentional process where we are restricting ourselves from food and, and nutrients and getting that insulin down and triggering our body to undergo autophagy. So a common fasting strategy would be something like a 16-8 where you fast for 16 hours and typically that's going to be overnight. So let's say you finish dinner at uh, 8 p.m. And then you would fast until 12 p.m. the next day. Now, during that fast, you can drink water, herbal tea, black coffee, um, but you're not consuming any calories and ideally no sweeteners or anything like that, even if they're non-caloric sweeteners, because that could trigger some insulin. It can trigger cravings. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, again, your body has got to start to break down body fat. It's going to start to break down and, and start the early process of autophagy. Okay. And so like a 16, eight process. Now, what I like to do uh, with people is get them to where they're able to do a 20 to 24 hour fast once a week. And when you're doing that, now you're going to go into a deeper level of autophagy. And so, and when you're metabolically flexible enough, and so for somebody that's very metabolically inflexible, where going a few hours without food is very stressful on their body, they have cravings, they feel irritable, they um, maybe get nauseous or angry, those individuals, we're going to start to kind of gradually um, try to, you know, first we're going to make dietary changes to try to stabilize their blood sugar and then gradually expand the time between their meals so they can gradually build this level of metabolic fitness. And, uh, but, you know, without, with, with that said, kind of the end goal is to get people to do a 20 to 24 hour fast. It's kind of a sweet spot for autophagy. So I do this actually every Wednesday to Thursday. So on Wednesday, I usually eat lunch around one, two o'clock, somewhere in that time frame, And then I'll fast until around the same time on Thursday, somewhere around two o'clock or so, and I'll break my fast. Now, the first thing I actually do to break my fast is I exercise. So I exercise usually about 22, 23 hours fasted. I'm well hydrated, but I'm fully fasted. Exercise is a no, another great stimulus for autophagy. So I'm stacking the fasting along with the exercise. Um, those two together trigger a large amount of autophagy in my system. And then I'll wait usually about a half hour or so after I finish eating. And normally I'm not even hungry at this point. Like I don't even feel hungry. 
because my body is actually really good at burning fat for fuel and I'm satiated. I'm feeling satiated. My ketones are elevated in my brain, which increases this feeling of satiety. And when that happens, again, I don't really necessarily feel hungry, but I'll break my fast usually about 30 minutes or so after my workout to get some more fuel and nutrients into my system. And that way I know I get a great level of autophagy and I do this every single week. So over the course of a year, my body's really doing a good job. It's, it's, I'm creating the environment that allows it to break down these senescent cells, these senescent mitochondria and regenerate itself from the inside out. I think what's so poignant about this is this has real world implications because as you were talking, I just kept thinking about, I always forget, is it Sweden where the epidemiologist looked at your grandparent and if they went through a feast when they hit puberty, mm -hmm. their offspring were significantly more likely to die earlier, six years earlier of diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease. And the flip was true that if your grandparent, particularly a grandfather, went through puberty during a famine and didn't have food, that their offspring were significantly less likely to die of diabetes and, and cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. and on average lived 25 years longer. So the, the spread in lifespans is 31 years between the grandparent feasting and the grandparent fasting during critical times of life. I mean, this really does, obviously you don't have control over what your grandparents did, but this does come into real world yep. applicability that, that it influences your health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for yep. sure. I mean, it's, I think of the, the the eating period. So like if you take a 24-hour day and let's say you eat your meals, two or three meals, and let's say an eight-hour window, I consider that the building phase. So when you're eating, you are producing hormones like insulin that have to do with cell reproduction and building, right? So you're building, you're storing, and you're reproducing cells. And then the time period between your last meal and then your first meal the next day right? That's your fasting or your cleansing window. Your body's cleaning itself up from the inside, right? And so it's, again, becoming, uh, you know, more thrifty and it's uh, recycling itself, clearing out toxins, clearing out bad abnormal cells or abnormal cellular organelles and doing a deep healing. And so that's kind of how I try to break it down for people. So I have a question because this is always, um, I started fasting way before it was a it, thing it was a thing just, um, this is how it felt good well yeah but i also read um who was the uh there was a, a person that was doing a lot of fasting i mimicked him um but a lot of times you're talking about in, either intermittent fasting or 24-hour fasting is there a benefit that's shown at a at three days five days ten day fast that like I've talked a lot of people we I talk to say, okay, the once 24 hours is great once a week, but maybe once a quarter you do a three to five day fast. Is mm -hmm. there a benefit to that? Has what has science shown? Yeah, I think that there's tremendous benefit to it. And so the biggest science has not been done on like a water fast. It, it's mostly done on something called the fasting mimicking diet, yep. which is it, which is you know, a fasting plan where you're consuming calories but it's roughly around 40% of your normal caloric needs. Most people out there, the average adult, I guess you could say, needs about 2000 calories a day if you're more active. Um, if you have more lean body mass, you may need more. I know for myself, I usually consume about 3000 a day, but the average individual is roughly around 2000 calories. And so the fasting mimicking diet, it's a five-day plan where the first day you consume, I believe 1200 calories, and then all the rest of the days you're consuming 800 calories and they give you you know, a little box that shows you kind of basically exactly what to eat. So it's all counted out for you. And they've done studies on this and they've shown, you know, autophagy starts to really peak on day three and four. And then also you get a big, big uh, increase in stem cells, right? Kind of these young embryonic uh, cells that are very stress resilient, um, usually on day four and five, right? So kind of towards the end of that, you get this peak there. You also get an increase in growth hormone, which is your quintessential anti-aging hormone that helps with strengthening your immune system. It helps with burning fat, uh, preserving lean body tissue. A lot of people are, are concerned when they fast that they're going to lose muscle tissue. And you, you may, just because typically you're not 
you know, doing strength training to, to, to preserve it. However, your body actually has built-in hormonal mechanisms like growth hormone that tell the system, let's preserve lean body mass. Don't break down your muscle to provide fuel, right? Because that is a potential fuel source is actually right. breaking down your muscle. It says instead, burn body fat. Why is that? Because you know, our body, you know, our ancestors, when they would go through a time of famine, if they lost muscle tissue and their body became really catabolic and broke down all their muscle tissue, they wouldn't have the strength to go out and hunt, right? Or, or, or find a new harvest. And so our body's built for survival. So we actually get primed, we get stronger, our senses become heightened um, as we're going through this sort of extended fast. And a lot of people feel this kind of natural euphoria, natural high, we get an endorphin release, um, ketones become, you know, elevated at even higher levels in the brain. And when ketones are elevated in the brain, they shut down something called the neuroinflammasome, which is this inflammation amplifying system. So they shut that down. They help balance your glutamate to GABA ratio in the brain, which gives you a very peaceful mind. When people are inflamed, when there's inflammation in the system, we tend to have elevated glutamate, which is kind of the, the, the gas pedal in your brain, right? Helps you think sharply and quickly, but it needs to be balanced by GABA, which is kind of the break, which is the brakes of the brain, right? So it helps slow down the brain so we don't get hyperactivity, anxiety, different things like that. And so the ketones naturally bring calmness and peace to the brain. Um, people notice that their senses are heightened, right? And it has to do with kind of this hormonal flux that takes place. So there is some incredible things that take place there um, as far as cellular regeneration. We've never compared those benefits to head to head with somebody that's doing a, so we haven't compared what's happening with, with somebody when they're doing this sort of fasting mimicking diet for five days with somebody who's doing a straight water fast for five days. So we don't know necessarily, okay, when somebody gets, you know, benefits when they're doing the water fast versus, um, the fasting mimicking diet. So we're not, not fully sure, but we do know what happens with the fasting mimicking diet. We also aren't comparing what happens when somebody's doing something like a 24 hour fast once a week, every week, you know, for a year, right. And right. how much autophagy, right. how much stem cells right. are developing. So it's really a new, it's, it's, it's a new area that we haven't done a whole lot of research on, particularly because, you know, nobody makes money off fasting. Right. And so fortunately the fasting mimicking diet, they do make some money because they sell a box of food and they put that money and people buy that and they put that money back into the research. And that's why we're getting some of this research. So definitely support them. Um, because yep. they're the ones that are actually Walter Longo is actually doing the research on this, but in general, you know, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot of money going into fasting research, but there should be because we're seeing incredible health benefits from people. So I believe that you're going to go into deeper levels of autophagy. You're going to have higher levels of ketones, which are going to have even better brain benefits because we know ketones not only shut down inflammation in the brain, but they also are um, epigenetic modulators, meaning that they help to modulate or, or turn on and off certain genetic switches, particularly in the brain and in the neurons. Um, and you know those genetic switches can help reduce risk of chronic disease, um, of anxiety, depression, right? All these different uh, unwanted symptoms and turn on longevity components, right? So you have a healthier, stronger brain later in life. And so I, I think that there are benefits to doing a longer fast. Um, you know, and I think it's more of a case by case basis. Yep. Somebody that has higher levels of inflammation is dealing with chronic inflammation, autoimmunity, and perhaps they're a little bit overweight. Um, they would do really well, I think, with a longer fast once their body was trained to be more metabolically flexible mm -hmm. and perhaps or a, or a fasting mimicking diet and doing that perhaps even once a month, right? A three to five day fast. Right. Somebody that's very, very lean, very thin already, low body fat, okay? Maybe they're very active trying to preserve lean, you know, trying to maintain muscle mass may not do as good with that style of fasting and may do better with something like a 24 hour fast every week right? On like a rest day, you know, and then breaking it with a workout followed by nutrients after that. So I think it needs to be customized, but, you know, I think there are a range of benefits that can come with doing a, a longer fast. I just want to take a moment, interrupt this podcast to tell you about Paleo Valley's organic super greens. They've got 23 organic superfoods, all made into a powerful powder, 
And these superfoods have their own unique benefit for boundless natural energy that you can get in one scoop of this powder. And the cool thing is there is no cereal grasses. A lot of you guys are concerned about cereal grass because research has come out showing that things like wheatgrass, barleygrass, actually contain a lectin called wheat germ agglutinin or WGA, which for some individuals is very inflammatory. And so Paleo Valley made these organic super greens without any of those cereal grasses. They only use the finest, most bioavailable superfoods to help your body absorb those valuable vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and enzymes found in each delicious servings. No fillers, no indigestible ingredients, just 23 nutrient-rich organic superfoods full of the nutrients you need for a vibrant, healthy life. And it's super simple. It only takes you 30 seconds. Just take a scoop, put it in water, or put it in you know a beverage of your choice to get these great benefits. You can check it out by going to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and using the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. Guys, try it out. You guys are going to love these this greens powder. You know, I will share that we did a five-day mainly water fast. Yeah. Uh, and I was that was the first time I ever did that. And I was quite nervous because I'm comfortable intermittent fasting, but that five-day thing really mentally was very difficult for me to get my head around. And what I was so, so amazing that I noticed that I'll just share with the listeners is that I never, I got hungry and I got very hungry and then it would pass. I always imagined if I did a five-day fast that it would continue to grow and I would just keep getting hungrier until I couldn't cope anymore, but it never got past, oh, I'm really hungry. And then it passed, which was the magical thing about that. So there, there, it, it I want to, for the listeners, it's not as hard as it seems. You get hungry, but then it, it goes away and you're done. Yeah, for sure. My my experience has been usually day two, day three is kind of where I feel the worst. Day one is super mm-hmm. easy because I do it all the time. Um, I don't even think about it. But day two, day three, you know, your body's starting to you're starting to get more more endotoxins actually increase into your system. So gut bacteria are dying, they're releasing endotoxins. Um, you've got fat cells that may be releasing toxins, things like that. So taking some binders can be really helpful. Water. Um, getting a massage, right? So a lot of people just have trouble with the idea because, you know, eating is a dopamine release for many of us, right? And it's a lot of the the not feeling good as you're going through a fast like that is not getting the dopamine hit, the feel good hit that we get mm. whenever we're consuming food, particularly, you know, food that is sweet or, you know, has a lot of flavor to it. And and so most of us have some level of food addiction from that perspective. And so as the dopamine goes down, we're not feeling good. And so doing something like getting a massage, right? So you're not spending money on food. So go get a massage, you know, on, on those, especially on those tough days, day two, day three. And um, that can be really, really helpful, very relaxing for you. And so sometimes you got to put yourself in the right environment. Usually by day four, it's like you're kind of, you're, you're over that. You feel significantly better by day four, day five, somewhere in that range. Um, and then, you know, when you do a fast like that, you want to come out of it gently, right? And so usually doing it with like liquid nutrition, bone broth, maybe protein shake. If you're doing vegetables, something well-steamed, like well-steamed broccoli, you don't want to do a whole lot of fat at once, right? Like, you know, you wouldn't want to do, um, you know, a cheeseburger, right? <laughs> um, or even like a big avocado or something like that. So you want to yeah. do, you want to kind of gently reintroduce your system. After about two days of fasting, your digestive system stops, it shuts down. It stops producing stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes. So it goes into a hibernation mode, and which is good because that diverts more energy to healing and repair. But we got to reawaken it gently. And so that's really the idea there as you're breaking a an extended fast. The, the best cabbage I've ever tasted is right after a five-day fast, lightly yeah. steamed, or actually yeah. steamed it's just cabbage. Pretty, it's pretty just, well steamed. Yeah, pretty well steamed yeah. cabbage. And the best with no flavor whatsoever is just the best. Yeah, it's um, good. Fermented foods are also good there. Kimchi, uh, mm-hmm. sauerkraut, good, good way to kind of break your fast. The natural sourness, right? Foods that are sour or astringent um, really helps stimulate your digestive juices. They stimulate your vagus nerve. And so that helps reactivate 
stomach acid production, bile, pancreatic <clears throat> enzymes, ginger tea, or even just chewing on some ginger root, you know, before you break your fast there can be really helpful too. So you did just bring up, unless you want to stick on this, I'd like to talk about foods that support. No, I want to stick on this for okay, one so more second. I withdraw my question. Difference between men and women. Because I yeah. found in our practice that women tend to do better on a shorter cycle than men do. Men tend to be able to do longer for whatever reason. You it's, just stop looking at food yeah. and you lose weight. And <laughs> and I actually have to stop eating the food. Yeah. Weight, Whether but, lose weight or not, I'm just saying in terms of intermittent fasting, women. No, you're you're absolutely right. Particularly when when a woman is going through her menstrual cycle, we know that that menstrual cycle is very dependent upon nutrient information. And so if if the body, if the innate intelligence realizes that we're not getting enough nutrients, enough calories, that we're in a time of famine, it's going it's going to say, you know what, this is not a good time to bring a baby onto the planet, right? Um, and the, the woman might die during, you know, um, you know, as, as she's pregnant because she's not getting enough nutrients. So it'll shut down the menstrual cycle and it'll shut down fertility. So this is why it's really important to go through this feast famine cycling. So the general pattern that seems to work best is the week before the menstrual cycle, that last week, part of that uh, luteal phase there at the end, um, the woman actually should be consuming and, and going through more of a feasting period, right? Where they're consuming obviously healthy foods, but higher amounts of carbohydrates, maybe root vegetables, fruits, things like that, and just a higher amount of overall calories. And then as the menstrual cycle hits, so like day one, menstruation starts, that's actually a good time to go into fasting mode because all the hormones, progesterone, estrone, and estrogen are, are lower. And that is a great time to go into if you want to do a three or five day fast or you know intermittent fasting, fantastic time to do it up until close to ovulation, right? Ovulation again. Um, you need a, a, a spike of estrogen, progesterone at that period of time. And those hormones are going to, are going to do best when we have lots of calories on board, when we've got, um, you know, basically telling the body that food is abundant, right? Food is around. We've got the food to carry out, you know, a, a pregnancy here if, 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 uh, you know, that takes place. And so that's when, again, we go into a period where we're doing less fasting, maybe like 12, you know, I still recommend 12 to 14 hours overnight during that period of time. So it's like you finish dinner at seven, you eat again at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., somewhere in that range. Um, and that's great, right? That's kind of like just a normal, I call it a simple fast, right? Just an overnight fast is good for your liver. It's good for your 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 gut, um, just good for all your detoxification systems, but you're not really getting any any level of autophagy in that period of time. But that's okay, you know, for that short window. So let's say from day 12 to day 14 or 15, because ovulation technically is day 14, although, you know, most women will say that they're, um, you know, they're not always textbook, right? So somewhere in that time frame, you know, consuming more food, more calories, less uh, of, the, of the fasting. After ovulation, for uh, several days there, five or six days, you can go back into intermittent fasting, low carb, right? That sort of thing. But then the week, roughly around day 20, 21 um, of the cycle, most women will say they actually get more cravings. They actually feel more hungry. And that's a sign from the body that says, hey, we need to make sure that you know we're in a time of feasting and a time where food is abundant to really be able to carry out this cycle properly. And so that's when, again, you're consuming those calories. So that's what I notice is it's really about timing it with the menstrual cycle. And, uh, and that's super key. And so when, when women go into menopause, the perimenopause, and then into menopause, the next thing that's really important is they get this overall reduction in estrogen and progesterone. And we know that cortisol is a antagonist to progesterone, right? They kind of compete for some of the same precursors, right? Pregnenolone, steel, and this whole idea uh, as far as going down the cortisol pathway or the progesterone pathway. So that is where a woman that is in um, menopause may have issues at times with fasting or extended fasting. So it's just that much more important for a woman when they're doing fasting that they're reducing stress. Okay, particularly if they're doing an extended fast, keeping stress down because fasting itself 
will increase cortisol because cortisol is a glucocorticoid, meaning that it increases blood glucose. And when you're fasting, you actually need that because you're not taking glucose in from your diet. So you actually need this hormone to come out to keep blood sugar elevated to some degree, right? Not, not high, but to some degree because your brain needs glucose, right? As an energy source, it can run off ketones, but it can't produce all its energy of only about 50% from ketones. It needs glucose. So we need a level of glucose in the blood. Cortisol is providing that for us. But if we also have a lot of other stressors going on, that can cause higher and higher amounts of cortisol to be released and therefore less progesterone to be produced. And then we get this imbalance of estrogen and progesterone. And uh, that can cause a lot of the unwanted symptoms associated with with menopause. Also, in general, you know, the more stress we're under, that's also going to cause, you know, problems with producing estrogen too. So some women uh, end up with just low, very low estrogen as well as progesterone. Some women end up with kind of normal levels for a, for a menopausal woman of estrogen, but very low progesterone. It's the ratio that causes problems for them. So um, either way, we got to keep stress under control uh, as they're going through that fasting, that fasting window. That's key. David, that's a very easy thing to say. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, what you want to do is that if you're under a very stressful season in your life, don't do an extended fast, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out a fasting strategy and it might just be 14 hours. And we call this a lot for a lot of women, especially young, um, very active and busy type A type personalities who are exercising and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a mom and they also have a career right at the same time, or they, they're just a very, very busy lifestyle. Um, we'll do something called crescendo fasting. And, and oftentimes they're very lean as well, where we'll do a 14 hour fast. So on a daily basis, our goal will be 12 to 13 hour fasting. And then, you know, twice a week on non-consecutive days, we'll push it up to 14 hours and kind of just see how their body responds to that. If they feel good, if they feel like, wow, I feel great that day. I feel like I've got really good energy. Then we might push it up to 16 hours, but we're doing it on non-consecutive days, okay, where they have time to recover, kind of like exercise. You know, there are some people like, like myself um, at this phase of my life, I enjoy, I exercise six days a week. I love it. I do great. But I also have twin boys that are seven. And when they were born, I wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep, right? <laughs> And so I overtrained because I was trying to work out six days a week and I had to cut it back to three or four days a week because I couldn't recover. I wasn't getting the, the sleep that I needed to recover properly. And so I needed more recovery days, less workout days at that period of time. And so it's kind of the same thing. The more stress you're under, the, the less uh, quality your sleep is, the less overall stressors your body can handle. And fasting, even though it's very healthy for us, we call it a hormetic <clears throat> stressor because it's a stress on the body that actually makes us stronger and more resilient. However, depending on your stress threshold and how much stress your body can handle, you may need to reduce the amount that you're doing. And a lot of people you know, have kind of gotten caught up in fasting. They hear about all the great benefits, but they don't really tailor it or listen to their body and tailor it to the messages that their body is giving them and the environment and the, the stress level that they're under. And so that's really the important thing is you're listening to your body and trying to tailor it to uh, your stress load. Yeah. No, I think that's really, really important. First of all, listening to your body is key. I think foundational. we all just, we, we all just go plow forward and just do what's quote unquote good for us and not listen to what our body's telling us, which is then gets us all into trouble. The one thing I'll add to what you're saying, at least that I found on myself, is yes, 100% agree that during stressful times, we got to limit the fasting. During non-stressful times, when I'm pretty religious about my fasting practice, it helps me get endurance for the for the fasting time, for the yeah. stressful times. It helps it makes me you more through. resilient. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's that idea of resilience, right? Resilience when we break that term down, what does that mean? Well, it really means your ability to adapt to stress. And so we're always trying to be in a state of homeostasis. Think about homeostasis as kind of your comfort zone, right? And in when you're in homeostasis, your body can heal, it can repair, it can function well, right? And there's all these different things that are that are happening all around us and within us that are that are pushing us away from homeostasis. 
And so resiliency is really your ability to handle whatever those stresses are, come out of homeostasis, handle those stressors, and then get back into homeostasis. Yep. And fasting is one of those things, kind of like exercise, that give us greater stress resilience. <laughs> so your ability, again, move out of homeostasis and get back into homeostasis. So you're absolutely right. Doing fasting during a season when stress isn't overwhelming will actually help you be more resilient when stress does increase and you, it does become even to a point of overwhelming, you'll be more resilient at handling that. All right. All right. Now back to your Now questions. we can transition. So <laughs> I want to transition off fasting and talk about as listeners are going through their life, they're maybe able to incorporate the intermittent fasting, but then what are foods that support autophagy or herbs that support autophagy and how do we incorporate those into our daily lives? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, as a, as a foundational lifestyle, you want to you want to follow a blood sugar stabilizing diet. And so a blood sugar stabilizing diet is going to look like this. I recommend roughly about 30 grams of protein per meal. So when you are eating, you want to make sure that you have enough protein on board. Protein is very satiating. It helps when you get about 30 grams, that's roughly about three grams or so of leucine, particularly if it's from, you know, a uh, grass-fed animal protein sources, wild-caught fish, um, pasture-raised, you know, organic eggs, things like that. You're going to get roughly about three grams of leucine, which is the threshold for preserving lean body mass. And it also helps stimulate fat burning. And so you, again, about 30 grams of protein, depending on your activity level, you may need more. I mean, I'll eat 50, 60 grams easy in a meal when I do eat, right? But I usually only eat twice a day. Um, but as a minimum, you want about 30 grams of protein and roughly 20 to let's say 40 grams of fat, depending on how well your body uh, breaks down fat. So somebody that doesn't have a gallbladder or has um, congested bile ducts, they may not do well. If they do a higher amount of fat, they feel nauseous, they don't feel well. So tailor your fat, but you're trying to get somewhere, most people can do okay on at least 20 grams of good quality, healthy fats from things like extra virgin olive oil, um, grass-fed butter, uh, avocados or avocado oil, tallow, beef tallow, pasture-raised eggs, something along those lines where you're getting these healthy fats. Um, and then, you know, obviously make your meals colorful, right? So getting a lot of uh, colorful fruits, vegetables, things like that in your meal, that's going to create, you know, and, and I, I always recommend limiting grains, right? So either reduce or eliminate grains altogether, depending on how well your body tolerates them. Um, and then get rid of all your bad fats. That's going to be your processed vegetable oils, trans fats, margarine, um, butter, all, you know, but, you know, fake butters, all that kind of stuff. You want to get rid of those things because that just drives up inflammation in the system. So that's how you kind of tailor your meal in general. And if you have a blood sugar stabilizing diet like that, it's going to be easier to fast because your body's going to keep your blood sugar very stable. You're not going to, you're going to have very good insulin sensitivity and it's going to be easy. You're going to be more metabolically flexible where you're able to switch between burning fat and burning sugar more effectively. And you're going to be more satiated between meals. So that's kind of the foundation there. And then there are certain herbs that actually have been shown to help trigger autophagy as well. So these are going to be things like ginger, for example, right? Ginger has uh, ginger rolls in it, which are these polyphenolic compounds that, um, you know, are basically help to stimulate, stimulate autophagy. You've got um, things like uh, curcumin and turmeric, right? That, that also are very effective. You've got catechins in green tea and dark chocolate that have been shown to help stimulate autophagy mechanisms. You've got caffeic and chlorogenic acid in coffee, black coffee, right? Which can actually help stimulate this. So people ask, can I drink coffee when I'm fasting? And you absolutely can. There are certain caveats. So if you drink coffee, there are certain individuals that don't metabolize coffee well, or they may have a sensitivity to coffee. And so like, if you drink coffee, coffee should be a performance enhancement tool, meaning you should feel great after you drink coffee. It actually should help you fast longer. However, if you notice so you're having when cravings- When I go like this, when yeah, I drink if, coffee, it's not a good thing? Not a good thing, right? <laughs> so if you're feeling agitated, you've got anxiety, or if you have cravings, right? Increases cravings, that's a sign your body didn't have the desirable reaction, right? In fact, it may have increased insulin. Your body may not be able to metabolize it effectively. And uh, therefore, you should either reduce your dose or or um, or eliminate it altogether. So I'll give you one guess as to how I respond to coffee. Yeah, I forgot that. No. But the one thing <laughs> I, I fell asleep jittering. 
like shaking. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not, not responding well. Right. And some people have a mutation in their CYPA12 gene uh, in their liver. Right. And that creates a slow metabolism, slow caffeine metabolism. Right. Also a lot of coffees, same with dark chocolates can be, can have mycotoxins. They can have molds on them. Typically, if it's grown in shade, if shade grown and actually should be tested for for mycotoxins, you can get, you know, low or no mycotoxin coffee. And some people that haven't responded to typical coffee actually respond well to that because it's really the mycotoxins that are driving the inflammatory reaction. So just things to try out and and test um, that, that, you know, may be beneficial for you. There's other good herbs, like all of your kind of Italian Mediterranean style herbs, your oregano, basil, thyme, rosemary. Um, These things have, have compounds like carvacrol in them, rosmarinic acid uh, that are, are really great for stimulating autophagy. There's another compound called allagic acid, allagic acid, we find in all of our astringent types of fruits, cranberries, pomegranates, uh, muscadine grapes, right? Like we have a muscadine grape tree in our, our backyard here and we get them in the fall. It doesn't taste like your typical Concord grapes that you buy at the store. Most grapes at the store, super sweet, right? Muscadine grapes hit you with this kind of astringent sourness. That sourness is this compound allagic acid. And also there's quercetin in these these. Uh, compounds as well. These uh, these these different types of fruits, and the oleic acid, your gut bacteria will actually break that down into something called urolithin A, and urolithin A will stimulate this mitophagy process, particularly in the intestinal cells. Um, so your enterocytes in your intestines, and that's really important because we think about our small intestine. Our small intestine is only one cell wall, right? So it's like one connecting cell, you know, one layer of cells that are just all connected by tight junctions and just some mechanical stress of eating along with toxins that we're taking in from our diet, from our environment, stress. If we're not, if we're under stress, we're not going to produce enough stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes. We're going to end up creating a lot of wear and tear on that, on that one cell wall. Right. And then when that breaks, we call that intestinal permeability or, or leaky gut. And now that allows proteins, bacteria, um, endotoxins to get into the bloodstream, and that drives up inflammation in the body. In fact, all autoimmune conditions and chronic inflammatory conditions are all associated with leaky gut. That's one of the components that that individual has is this level of intestinal permeability. And so super important that we're keeping those cells as strong and stress resilient as possible so that urolithin A that's produced by gut bacteria when they're consuming oleic acid will actually help with that. And actually fasting itself is really key here too, because fasting helps to reduce the primary feeders in the back, in the, in the gut. So within our gut, our gut microbiome, we've got primary feeders that live above the gut mucosa and we have secondary feeders that live in the mucosa. The, the most well-studied one is called Ackermansia mucinophilia, which mucinophilia means mucus loving. So when we're constantly eating every few hours, the primary feeders are eating and they're reproducing, and then they crowd out <clears throat> the secondary feeders. And so we get a big reduction in Ackermansia. And uh, microbiome researchers have found that higher levels of Ackermansia mucinophilia are associated across the board with reduced reduced rates of metabolic disease and chronic inflammatory conditions. And Ackermansia helps strengthen the, one of the things it does is it will eat the gut mucosa and then will actually stimulate the goblet cells to produce more mucin, right? More mucosa, right? Which is kind of the first line of defense. And that's where the secretory IgA is, the immune component of our gut, um, and the more that the, the better our secretory IGA is, right, the less gut inflammation we're going to produce because it's a non-inflammatory producing antibody. Um, and so what happens here is when we fast, we starve down some of the primary feeders and that actually creates room now for the secondary feeders like Ackermansia, which can survive. It loves polyphenols like urolithin, but or like elagic acid, but it can survive just on the mucosa as well. So it can survive during the fast. And when it's elevated or when it's kind of in its optimal uh, levels, it's going to produce more of the urolithin A by breaking down polyphenols. So we're going to get more 
mitophagy in those intestinal cells. And kind of the best analogy for the layperson out there that's not familiar with these terms is in my my yard here, I've got an apple tree and I've got a blueberry bush. And the apple tree grows, right? Its branches grow and it will crowd out the blueberry bush because they're close to each other. And the blueberry bush won't get any sun and we won't get any blueberries. So we actually have to trim the hedges. We actually have to cut branches off of the apple tree, which limits the amount of apples we're going to get in order for the blueberry bush to get the sun that it needs. So we get blueberries and we want apples and blueberries, right? And so this is kind of the same thing when we're fasting, we are trimming down primary feeders in order so that the secondary feeders can really thrive. And that creates the, the balance and, um, you know, the overall diversity of the microbiome that's so important for keeping inflammation under, under control and optimizing our overall health. Now, this is amazing. The, my challenge is we have limited time and we have a lot to talk We've about. We've scratched the surface. But I think what's so poignant about what you were just talking about is, so first of all, David, just to acknowledge when you talk about gut permeability, you are talking my love language, okay? So that is like my total passion play. I love talking about it. And it, it, any listener who has autoimmune disease really does want to start to look at the permeability of the gut. Gluten, by definition, will increase the permeability of the gut. So if you're eating gluten, you want to stop. This is, I know that's like an inflexible approach, but if you have autoimmune disease, you have gut permeability, gluten increases gut permeability. And so we want to tilt the scales towards health. So I agree with you that, that there's, there were just sort of so scratching at this. Is there any way to do any justice? Because I know we, I want to get to hot, cold for autophagy. Mm -hmm. Is there any way to do that? And like, and I want to honor your time. So is there yeah. any way to do it like a two minute quick yeah for sure the for teaser sure. version know, i think you know in general we talked about hormetic stress right we talked about stressors help create a create more resiliency well it's kind of the same thing when it comes to geographical stressors like for example you know they say october to what march is cold and flu season well why is that well the reason why is the temperature drops right in in you know the northern atmosphere here that we're in it drops and uh, and so when people when we get this big temperature drop, that's a major stressor on people's bodies, right? Here in Georgia, where I'm at, I mean, it'll be 65 degrees one day, and then it'll drop down to 35 degrees, right, the the next day. And so that's a significant stressor. And so one way that we can make our body more resilient to the to the temperature change type stress is actually exposing it to extreme heat, like we can do a sauna, right? Or you can go out obviously in in the heat and work out. Um, and that will get your body heat up. And you, when when that happens, you actually activate something called heat shock proteins. And those heat shock proteins break down, you know, damaged cellular organelles. They break down damaged cells. And so they trigger that sort of autophagy, apoptosis, and mitophagy process. And they just make you more resilient to heat. And then it's the same with cold, right? So if you're doing a cold shower, like this morning, you know, I finished my shower with one to two minutes of cold water. And so what does that do? That's challenging my body to now have to adapt to that cold stressor. That stimulates cold shock proteins, which kind of do the same thing. They stimulate autophagy. Then it also helps my body become more resilient when I face colder temperatures. I'm more resilient. My body knows it's familiar with how to handle itself and how to adapt to that so I can be more resilient. So getting your body uncomfortable for short bouts, right? I was only in the shower for two minutes. Last night, I was in my sauna for 20 minutes, right? Short bouts of, you know, temperature changes like that, extreme temperature changes will create a more resilient body and a res more resilient mind too. And it actually helps stimulate, um, you know, like the, the shower really gives me more dopamine, norepinephrine. So I've got more energy, mental clarity throughout the day as well. So um, you'll just notice a lot of performance benefits doing that. But uh, it's really about kind of balancing those stressors. You don't want too much, right? You want just the right dosage to make you more more stress resilient. Awesome, perfect. Where can people find more information? Because this is yep. amazing information. Where can people for sure? Yeah, you, you can find me at drjockers.com. That's my website, and then also I've got a great podcast, Doctor Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, and I'm on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you know, all the different social media. Just look up Doctor David Jockers. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. First of all, thank you. This is, 
a wealth of knowledge. And I think people can really put this into practice. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Environmental Toxicants Autoimmunity and Chronic Diseases Summit. This is Dr. Ed Levitan. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. And our guest today was Dr. David Jockers. Thanks for being here. And thank you for, for speaking, Dr. Jockers. Thank you guys for having me. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.